Good evening. I'm glad that I can be here with you this evening. And before we open the word of the Lord, I just want to say thank you to you as a congregation for the many ways in which you have been there and blessed and supported my dad over these past uh, few years. And um, it's yeah, so comforting as a son to know that, um, yeah, that my dad is being, being cared for. Uh, yesterday was the two-year anniversary of my mom's passing. And so, um, so thank you. At this point, uh, let's turn in our Bibles back to Psalm 119. <coughs> Psalm 119. And like you do here, every year at Jerseyville Baptist, we pick out a motto verse. And our choice for a verse this year, from my perspective, was a fairly easy one. The writing was quite literally on the wall. This year, we are celebrating our 200th anniversary as a congregation, 200 years of God's faithfulness. It is a time for us to look to the past and thank the Lord for his goodness and a time to look to the future in anticipation of what, is, of what God is going to do in our midst. As we look to the past, it seemed to make sense to choose for our motto verse, the verse that has been displayed on the wall of our church for generations. I was told that it was in the early 1950s that Psalm 119, verse 105, was painted on the wall. For over 70 years, the text displayed behind the preacher as he preaches is, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. The word of God, the scriptures that we hold in our hands, have been given to us to be a lamp for our feet and a light for our path. And what does light do? Light reveals. Light makes things plain. Light enables us to understand. Light brings clarity. Light exposes that which was previously hidden. Light is necessary for our lives and for life itself. Without the light of the sun, there would be no life on earth. Flowing from the essential and illuminating nature of light, the psalmist writes, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. The path that I am walking on is dark and full of dangers and difficulties. There are potholes, snares, and traps. But your word, God, is a lamp unto my feet and a light for my path. Your word reveals and exposes the dangers for what they are, and it shows me the way that I should go. Before we reflect on the verse itself this evening, I want to spend a couple of minutes thinking about the psalm in which it is found, Psalm 119, the nature of the psalm. Psalm 119 is not only the longest psalm, but it is the longest chapter in the Bible. It contains 176 verses. And just to give a comparison, the next 20 psalms from 120 to 139 put together contain only 189 verses, just 13 more. I thought Carl would like a little bit of math in the sermon. In this work, the eyes of the psalmist are on the word of God. He delights in the word of God. He has so many good and wonderful things to say about God's revelation. One author notes 
this psalm celebrates the gift of God's Torah or covenant instruction as the perfect guide for life. The psalmist saw the Torah, the Bible of his day, as a gift. It is a treasure from God to be studied, memorized, meditated on day and night, and followed. It is one thing to know what God's word says, but the psalmist time and again expresses his commitment to obedience. He will read and do what God commands. He wants to walk in God's ways and to stay away from the path of sin. He understands that the way of blessing, the good and prosperous life, is a godly life. The psalm begins with these words, Blessed are those whose ways are blameless, who walk according to the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his statutes and seek him with all their heart. They do no wrong, but follow his ways. That's what he has learned, and that is what he wants us to know. The way of blessing flows from a relationship with God, from knowing and obeying God. God is our creator. He is all wise, and he has perfect insight and understanding into everything. And so he is fully qualified to tell us what the best way of life is for us. As we look at this psalm, we see that it is finely crafted. It is a work of art, if you will. In your Bible, you will have the psalm broken up into 22 stanzas of eight verses each. At the top of each stanza, you will find a Hebrew letter. The Hebrew alphabet has 22 letters. So there's a stanza for each letter. And then each of the eight verses in each stanza begins with that letter. What this means is that from A to Z, from beginning to end, the writer is thinking about the word of God. It is his first thought in the morning and his last thought at night. The psalmist's life is all about God's word. He lives in conformity to God's instructions. God's word, he believes, is good and sufficient and full and complete. Throughout these verses, he uses eight different Hebrew words to refer to God's revelation, which are generally translated as law, testimonies, precepts, statutes, commandments, ordinances, word, and promise. There are a variety of terms used because God's word comes to us on many levels. There are commands and there are promises. God's revelation is full of commitments that God makes to us, exhortations, and assurances. His word brings comfort and hope as well as correction and direction. The specific portion of the scripture that the psalmist is writing about is the Torah, the law, the five books of Moses, Genesis through Deuteronomy. He didn't have the rest of the scripture when he wrote Psalm 119. And the Torah teaches him that God is a covenant-making God, a God who in mercy chose the nation of Israel and promised to be a faithful and present God to Abraham's descendants. The Torah reveals what living in covenant with God looks like for the nation of Israel, the promised blessings of God, and how he and how the nation are to conduct themselves as God's people. He would read of the importance of obedience and understand that disobedience would result in judgment. 
Thinking of God's mercy, not only in revealing his truth, but in binding himself to Israel in covenant, causes much joy in the heart of the psalmist. He rejoices to read about God's love for him and the nation and how he might walk in fellowship with the Almighty. He has an intense delight in reading and meditating on and in memorizing God's word. He says, The law from your mouth is more precious to me than thousands of pieces of silver and gold. Verse 72. He would rather have the Bible than riches. Have you ever handed a Bible to someone and encouraged them to read it? If you have, then you have provided that person with the greatest treasure, something far more valuable than silver or gold. And when we see his evident delight in God's word, all too often we are put to shame and convicted. We have more light than he did. The complete scriptures that we have speak of a better covenant with better promises. He saw the saving work of God foreshadowed through sacrifices on the day of atonement. But we have revealed to us the wonderful scriptures that teach us of our Savior, the light of the world, who laid down his life on Calvary for us. May our hearts be full of passion for the powerful and marvelous word of God. May we have an unsatiable desire to read the scriptures and to fellowship with the God of the Bible. May we hide his word in our hearts. The scripture teaches the psalmist how he is to live his life. It instructs him how he is to walk in the world. And that is the focus of the verse set before us in this psalm. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. He is aware that it is God's word that teaches him what is right, and it warns him of that which is wrong. It is a lamp. It is a light. It illuminates. And he needs a lamp because the journey that he is on is fraught with danger and darkness. For our second point, we're going to reflect on the journey in darkness. The metaphor that the psalmist has in mind as he writes this verse is one of a journey. As we live our lives in this world, we are traveling on a path. And the reason why we need light is because the path that we are on in this life is a dark path. There are all sorts of potential dangers. There are metaphorical traps and snares. There are potholes and fallen branches. There may be snakes, poison ivy, or similar threats. In addition, there are distractions and enticing side paths. All these things endeavor to keep us from the way we should go. And the psalmist knows that he needs to be alert and aware. But he also understands that his eyes, his insight, is not sufficient to allow him to adequately take in the danger and to respond appropriately. He needs divine light. In what way does darkness impact the journey that we are on? Why is the path dark? Why do we need a light and a lamp? The path is dark because of the darkness of our own hearts. The psalmist says in verse 10, I seek you with all my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. He says that he seeks God with all his heart. 
And this reveals that his desire is to be faithful to God. And that is what we are to be striving for, to have a heart of purity, an undivided heart that seeks God and obeys his commands. He further declares his commitment in verse 112, saying, My heart is set on keeping your decrees to the very end. He is determined to follow the Lord and walk in his ways. He has good intentions. But the scripture is also clear that there is a struggle going on inside of us. As Paul says in Romans 7.15, I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. And the psalmist as well understands the tension and struggle as he laments his sin in verse 5. Oh, that my ways were steadfast in obeying your decrees. His yearning is that his ways would be steadfast, that he would walk in obedience. But he knows that all too often that is not the case. He knows that his heart is prone to wander, prone to walk in the way of sin. There are times when we set our hearts on the Lord, determined to follow him in obedience. There are times that we say, I'm not going to sin, I'm not going to fall in that way again. And then what happens? As well-intentioned as we are, we fall. We sin. We are led astray. The psalmist writes, Direct my footsteps according to your word. Let no sin rule over me. Verse 133. And that insightful comment shows the understanding of his heart. He does not want sin to rule over him. He is very aware that sin will try and rule over him. He is also aware that there is part of his heart that wants to be ruled by sin. Sin will appeal to our hearts, our desires and affections, trying to lead us away from God's righteous paths. Sin will appeal to our hearts because we have a fallen nature that is prone to being enticed and allured by sin. There's a battle raging in the heart of the believer. On the one hand, the Spirit dwells within us, and we want to be totally devoted to the Lord. And on the other hand, we have a nature that is drawn to darkness and selfishness and pride and independence from God. The Word of God is a necessary light because of the nature of our hearts. They are untrustworthy and selfish, and easily led astray. We cannot trust in ourselves, in our hearts or our consciences to be our guides. Only God's word is pure and true. Only God's word is a right and faithful guide. And there are times when God's word will convict us, when it will reveal that what we think or what we have done or what we want to do is wrong. And what do we do in those moments? How are we to respond when God's word shines a light on our sinfulness or our inconsistencies or our error? We are to respond with humility. We are to remember that God's word is a light. It is from God and it is good. We are to adjust our thoughts, our behaviors, our attitudes, our perspective, and conform them to the light of God's word. We need the light of God's word because of the darkness of our own hearts. We also need the light of God's word because of the darkness of our environment. We live in a dark world. The psalmist writes, The wicked have set a snare for me, but I have not strayed from your precepts, 
verse 110, he says that there are people out there who've set a snare for him. They do not want him to walk in the light, to walk in God's ways, but instead they have set a trap for him to prevent him from following God. Why would they do that? Because despite what some may say, this is not a good world inhabited by a few wicked people. But this is a world in which everyone is wicked and walks in their own path. It is a world full of people who want to live independently from God and do not care what the one who is their creator and king thinks. It is a world where everyone does what is right in their own eyes. John 1, 9 and 10. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. The ultimate expression of God's light, the Lord Jesus Christ, came into the world, and the world did not recognize him. He is the one who made the world, and the world did not understand when he came. The world did not see that God's Son, the light of the world, has come. And why did the world not understand? Why did the world not accept Jesus as the light? John also writes, John 3, 19 and 20, this is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. The world is, expo- is opposed to the light of God. When the psalmist thinks about the light that comes from God, he is referring to the scriptures. From our vantage point in history, we can refer to the light that comes from God both as the scriptures and as Jesus, who is the light of the world. The world is opposed to the light that comes from God, both to Jesus and the scriptures, because it loves darkness. It wants all people to walk in and to delight in darkness. It does not want to hear from God and be convicted, and it does not want God's people to live in the light, lest our light expose their sinful deeds and offend their consciences. This is the world that we live in, and we are to be aware of this tension so that we will understand that we are not to listen to the world and abide by its standards and ways and philosophies. Doing so will lead us into darkness and trouble and away from God. The world will try and influence our thinking, our morals, and our ethics. But we are to walk in the light. We are to immerse ourselves in God's word and follow his paths and ways, even when it is unpopular with the majority and with the world. The path that we are on is a dark path. And so we need the light of God's word. It's a dark path because our hearts are dark. We have a sinful nature within. We have a dark environment. The world is a dark place. And because of the darkness of our enemy, we have an enemy of our souls who wants us to dwell in darkness. The devil wants to keep us away from God and from walking in the paths of righteousness. His desire is to lead all people in the way of darkness. The devil has all sorts of tactics that he uses to accomplish his ends. 
He lies. He is the father of lies. God makes his truth plain. But the devil wants us to question God's word. He tells us that God's word is confusing or unknowable or that we have misunderstood it. One of the devil's favorite questions is to say, did God really say? Is that really what God means? Are you sure you've understood it properly? He wants us to cast doubt on the truth. The devil deceives the world and tries to deceive Christians by telling us that light is darkness and darkness is light. He tells us that what is called evil and wicked in God's word is actually good and right. God has it wrong. God doesn't understand humanity or the way that things work in our modern times. He tells us that we cannot be sophisticated or wise or relevant or authentic if we cling to God's word. He strives to get us to doubt God's character and to question God's word. And the devil is ruthless. His focused objective is to harm humanity because of his hatred for God. He lies, he deceives, he murders, he divides, and he seeks to lead people and keep people in sin and darkness. And so we need the light of God's word. God's word exposes the devil for who he is. It reveals his wicked schemes and empty promises. God's word shines a light showing us the path that we should walk on. And we're not to listen to the evil one, but to the Lord of glory. We're to listen to the one who created us and loved us so much that he sent his son to die so that we might have eternal life. The psalmist has a realistic understanding of the journey that he is on. We travel a journey with the danger of darkness all around us, the influences of our own dark heart, the dark world, and the dark enemy would lead us astray. But we are not left without hope. We can journey on the true path, the way of blessing, the way of God that leads to God because we have the light of God's word. Our final point is the light of God's word. Penetrating the darkness is the truth of God. One evening last summer, I did something ill-advised. At the Bible camp we were at, I tried to walk from the lodge to our cabin at night. And it was dark. It was really dark. I couldn't see where I was going, and for some mysterious reason, the light outside of our cabin refused to shine. And I didn't have a flashlight with me. And it took quite a while for me to get to the cabin, even though it was a short walk. You can picture me flailing in the dark. Well, eventually, and fortunately, I walked into the correct cabin without mishap. A light would have been such a help. It would have shown me the path to go. It would have revealed any obstacles, the tree roots or the tree trunks. It would have shown me the right and safe path. The reality that there is so much darkness may be overwhelming and daunting. But there is hope. God did not leave us in confusion and trouble. He gave to us the light of truth. 
One writer notes, darkness is a wide ranging metaphor. It can be a picture of cluelessness. If we lack information, we may say, I'm in the dark about this. It can refer, it can refer to evil or moral corruption. It's often used as a symbol of hopelessness or despair. The people the Hebrew prophet Isaiah is describing in Isaiah 9, 1 and 2 are not walking in physical darkness. The metaphor is a picture of barrenness, emptiness, and hopelessness. He is describing a dispirited nation, stumbling through life without focus or purpose or hope. They were living in the land of the shadow of death and had nothing to live for. The prophecy that he refers to in that quote, Isaiah 9, 1 and 2, then tells us that the people who are walking in darkness have seen a great light. God provided the light that they and that we need. We are clueless, and he provides us with the information we need. We are sinners, and he teaches us how to be forgiven and reconciled to himself and what the path of righteousness is that we are to walk on. We are without hope, and he gives us the light of hope in this dark world. We are empty, and he shows us the way of fullness and bounty. We abide in the shadow of death, and his words are the words of eternal life. The psalmist tells us that God's word is the lamp for our path. And path is itself a fairly broad metaphor that can be used in multiple ways. And as we think of our life as a journey, we can, on the one hand, use the path image to think about the path to God. It is the word of God that reveals to us the true and only way to God. On the other hand, we can also use the idea of a path to think about the way of righteousness. It is the word of God that teaches us how to identify what is right and wrong and how we are to walk in this world. So God's word teaches us the way to God and the way of righteousness. God's word shows us the way to God, the path to God. For his birthday, we got Robbie a pet, a crested gecko, a little lizard. <laughs> On the top of the cage, we have three lights, each with a different bulb, because the gecko needs a particular balance of light, heat, and UV exposure. There's a bright bulb for the day, a not-so-bright, darker light for the night, and the UV bulb, which shines during the day. And what is true of the gecko is true of all of us. We need light to survive. Without the light of the sun, we would die. And likewise, we need the light of God's word to survive spiritually because it reveals to us where eternal life might be found. In Psalm 119, the psalmist says, May your unfailing love come to me, Lord, your salvation according to your promise. Verse 41. He knows that in the scriptures, God has given the promise of salvation. He treasures God's great promises and clings to them, knowing that God is faithful. He believes that when God gives a message of salvation, God will fulfill it. God will do what he says. And when he meditates on God's word, on the Torah, the Bible that he had, he sees the work of God's deliverance. 
God is a God who saves. He delivered Noah and his family from the floodwaters. He rescued the nation of Israel from the Egyptians. Though the judgment of God against sin is clear in the scriptures, he also knows that by the shedding of blood, sin can be forgiven. Sin demands death. The wages of sin is death. The consequences of our disobedience is death. But this psalmist read about the Day of Atonement, a day when a goat was offered up for the sins of the people, and then a second goat, and over this goat, the sins of the nation, the sins of the people were confessed, and then this goat was released outside of the camp. The first goat symbolizes that one can die as a substitution for another. And the second, that when atonement is made, sins are removed from the guilty as far as the east is from the west. And this we know from our perspective in history all points to Jesus. Jesus died as a sacrifice for sins. He died in our place. Our sins that have been laid upon him have been taken away from us and removed so that there is now no condemnation for those who believe in Jesus Christ. God's word reveals to us the way to God, God's way of salvation. Human beings struggle with and seek to answer questions of meaning and existence. Why am I here? Do I matter? Is there life after death? In addition, there are all sorts of ideas that people have turned to throughout the ages for happiness and hope and wholeness. Some believe that guidance can be ascertained from the stars. Some believe that this life is all that there is, so you should eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. You might be told that you can find hope and joy in money, or possessions, or success, or your job, or other earthly treasures and pursuits. Some would encourage you on a path of enlightenment, or tell you that After you die, you return to the earth, and the status of your next life will depend upon how you lived this present one. There are all these competing answers, all these ideas and philosophies that you can engage with in this world. There's all this confusion. But God's word is the light. It provides clarity. It teaches us about who the true and living God is, And it shows us the only way to God. And the way to God is not a list of actions and activities. It is an individual, a savior, Jesus Christ. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. There's a yearning. Our hearts are desperate for the salvation of the Lord. We are spiritually hungry and thirsty, and the Lord provides for our needs. The psalmist says in verse 81, my soul faints with longing for your salvation, but I have put my hope in your word. He is faint and desperate for God's salvation. That's the human state. We're all 
by nature desperate in need of God's salvation. And he declares that God has shown to him the way of life revealed in his word. God has made the path clear. God's word points us to Jesus. It explains how Jesus is the Savior that we need and that by faith in him, we might be forgiven and have eternal life. God's word shows us the path of God, the path to God, which is Jesus. And God's word also shows us the path of righteousness. The psalmist delights in God's word because it teaches him about the covenant that God has made with the nation of Israel. And God's word reveals to him what he's to do, his covenant obligations. The psalmist is under the old covenant, the covenant that God made with the nation of Israel through Moses. The people were called to be faithful, to be obedient to the covenant so that they might continue to walk in the blessings and avoid the curse of God. And the situation that we are in now, this side of the cross, is different. All those who are in Christ are part of God's new covenant people. The scripture makes it clear that there needed to be a new covenant. The old covenant was broken by people. People couldn't keep it. And so God made a new covenant. In the old covenant, what people needed to do to remain in the covenant was to obey, was to fulfill their covenant obligations. Well, how do we enter into the new covenant? By faith. And the reason why we seek to live lives of obedience is not so that we would remain in the covenant. It's because we are in the covenant and because we want to grow closer and closer to the God of the covenant, to the one who has saved us, to the Messiah. The covenant, the new covenant, is not conditional. Our obedience flows from our love for God, for our desire to be in a relationship with him. We are starting to go through the Ten Commandments uh, at our church and thinking about the idea of covenant. And one writer I read says that the idea of covenant um, are these oaths and bonds that two parties make. But the oaths and the bonds and the promises and all this, what they do is they support the relationship. It's the relationship that is primary. And in the covenant that we are in with God through Christ, it's the relationship that's primary. And because we're in a relationship with him, we want to obey him. And so God's word tells us what it means to walk in the paths of righteousness, what it means to live for God. And the instructions, the commands, all these things, they're not done because God wants to put a huge burden upon us. They're not done, they're not designed to make our lives dull and boring. They're given by a God who loves us, who wants to enhance our lives and to keep us from heartache and from that which will be harmful to our souls, our bodies, and our relationships. The commands are designed to keep us away from the world, to keep us straying from God, and to draw us closer to him.
where we can find true soul satisfaction. God gives us commands because he loves us, cares for us, and because he wants us to be lights in this dark world and to show people where salvation is found. So though our situation is different than that of the psalmist, we are likewise to be committed to obedience and righteousness. And so God's word is a lamp for our feet and a light for our path. It shows us the path of obedience that we are to walk. And we learn his ways from the scriptures. We learn what it is to walk God's path by reflecting on the life of Jesus Christ and by patterning our lives after his. And so we are to read and study God's word. We are to note the commands and exhortations and we are to put them into practice. We are to follow in the footsteps of the psalmist who was committed to obeying the word of the Lord. So there's a threefold application of this verse. How do we respond to the truth that God's word is a light? And first, we need to be familiar with God's word. We are to be in the scripture reading it, memorizing it, and reflecting upon it. A number of years ago, at the Cary Conference, I was in the youth group as a teenager, and the teacher, Pastor Muller, asked the group what Psalm 119 verse 11 was. And I was the oldest one in the group, and so I figured I should know it, and I didn't. Psalm 119, your word have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. We're to hide God's word in our heart. We're to read it, to memorize it, to meditate upon it. We're to study it by ourselves. We're to study it in groups. We're to teach it to our children. We're to teach the next generation how to study God's word by reading it with them and by modeling before them what a scripture-saturated life looks like. So the first word of application is to be familiar with God's word. And this is a lifelong journey. <laughs> At Bible school, my um, homiletics prof said one time, and he was, he's still alive now, but he was old then and he's still alive. I think he's about 100 now. And it wasn't that he was trying to be proud or anything, but it just sort of flowed out from him when he was talking in class. And he said, I got invited to a Christmas party, but really I just want to stay home and study God's word. And I'm like, if this gentleman who is over 80 years old, who's pastored for 50 years, his desire is to stay home and read God's word. Well, I can always be learning from it myself. And so that's one of the impacts that, uh, that he had upon me. So we're to be reading God's word. And second, we're to trust in God's word. The scripture is God's revelation to us. The Bible is sufficient and complete. It teaches us how to be saved. It gives us hope that we can have eternal life because our Savior is a risen Savior and our life is hidden in him. And so when God's word reveals to us the path of salvation, we know that it will come to pass. God will be faithful to what he has revealed. And so we are to trust in him, to trust in his word. And thirdly, 
We are to obey God's word. We're to do it. It teaches us the path of righteousness. And it's not going to be easy. As I said, there are times when the word will shine a light on something in our hearts or our lives or our thinking that we maybe don't want revealed. And it's hard. It's hard to change. But we need to remember that though following God is not easy, it is the best way. It is the way of blessing. And God cares for us, and he loves us so deeply. So we are to pattern our lives after the revelation of God given to us in the word and in his son, Jesus Christ. And I want to conclude with one final thought about light. This past week I did a difficult hospital visit. One of the difficult visits where someone you love dearly is deteriorating. And one of the scriptures that I read was Revelation 22, 1 through 5. And having these thoughts about light and darkness going through my mind, I read Revelation 22, verse 5. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of a sun, for the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. In the present, we need the light of God's word to walk in the darkness. There's darkness everywhere, but the darkness is temporary. In the future, there will be no darkness, and we will bask in the light of the one who is the word of God forever. Well, may we live for Christ in the present as we eagerly anticipate his glorious return. Amen. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for these truths. And our Father, we thank you for your word. And it truly is the light that we need. And our Father, help us to recognize that it is the light that we need and to treat it as such, to read it, to memorize it, to trust it, and to obey it. And in all this, may you receive the honor and glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.